I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The numbers told the story they always do. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. This is a numbers game with Gil Alexander on VSIN. Morning, folks. Welcome in. No Gil Alexander today. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for Matt Brown, who was filling in for Gil Alexander yesterday. I'll be with you here today, Thursday and Friday. We've got a good show on tap. Of course, Stanley Cup Finals, potentially. Oh, actually, Stanley Cup Final. I always have to get that right. It's the NBA Finals. It is a Stanley Cup Final. Andy McNeil. NHL betting analyst for the Sins going to join us in about 15 minutes. Get his thoughts on if the Vegas Golden Knights can close this thing out later tonight against the Florida Panthers. Plenty of NBA Finals recap as well as the Denver Nuggets are now champions for the first time in their franchise's history and baseball too because we got to get to that and the U.S. Open. Kelly Bidlin is here, of course. So you got half of the usual crew. And let's begin, of course, in in a spot where Kelly and I, it's near and dear to the heart. The NBA. The finals are over. The Denver Nuggets in five games oust the Miami Heat, 94 to 89, the final score last night. Game goes well under the total, uh, something that I don't think a lot of people saw coming (laughs) in terms of at least the way the game was played. Uh, Nuggets did close as an eight-point favorite, so the market was in on at least the Heat being pretty competitive here and got that right. And the market did push this from 207.5 at the open to 210, so a little wrong on the total. I actually think, as we discussed too many times, whether it was the Harvard Handicappers podcast or in different spots around the network, uh, that the sides were correlated and think it was the right way, and the market agreed with that, right? Miami getting the money, over getting the money. And uh, we'll say I think it was right. Look, it was the fastest played game of the series, shockingly enough. I know a lot of people might look at the final score and think that wasn't the case, but we saw how uh, hectic that game got at one point with a lot of bad decision-making, a lot of quick pace, and a lot of really, we'll call it, Uh, I say flummoxing uh, shot selection as well as it goes along, but 95 possessions, fastest game by far, but one of the lower scoring games of the series, a lot to do with three point shooting, 18% from three for the Denver Nuggets, 25.7% from beyond the arc for Miami. And I have to tell you, Kelly, I was um, watching yesterday and I wanted to, I wanted to text you. I don't even remember if I did or not. And I was just going to say something like this bleeping team, Miami, were they about to, Oh, I did. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, were they about to a Miami team, which we're going to have, I think a really good conversation later. Cause I wanted to kind of dive into why we have this version of Miami, right? Why, how we got here, how we can see it coming in years going forward. We've had a lot of deep runs from long shot underdogs throughout the NBA postseason over the last couple of years. And it coincides with the stretch. Now we have five different champions over the last six seasons. So there's a lot of parody and a lot of upward mobility in the association, but I was watching that yesterday. And I'm like, is this team going to get something else historic here? Are they going to get a historically bad offensive shooting performance from a team up 3-1? Where at one point, what were they, 1-15 or whatever it was from three-point range of Denver Nuggets? And you figured, here we go. Miami Heat are going to get into something here, but ultimately not the case. But Denver was absolutely brilliant. 
this entire series. This offense has been brilliant. The numbers will not reflect it. But again, yesterday, carving up that Miami Heat zone. Denver is one of those things, Kelly, where I think now that all the smoke has settled and I've watched it, and again, like throughout the postseason, it was one of those where like, oh, okay, Minnesota on of the I didn't see it coming to this extent. This is a dominant postseason run. They were absolutely brilliant every stretch of the way. One of the better offenses we've seen in terms of a postseason run. This was great, and I feel like we should have seen this coming a long time ago. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you put that well. This was a like this was a team you and I were both high on and believers in, but you know, I think you it's it's fair for us to say that there was probably a couple other teams in the Western Conference we felt that way about. We sure. didn't really know who would come out of it. Um and really they just the Denver Nuggets turned this into a dominant postseason run. Um Jamal Murray, I think his play really stepping up and, and we've talked about it a lot, but the I, I, you know, the the hints of Bubble Murray and what he had to come back from, an injury after that, um, and getting back to the player that I think we should expect him to be uh, really throughout the rest of his career. He is this this high-caliber player that we saw throughout the NBA Finals. Um, I think the, 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 two, the two stars really shined bright in this series, right, JVT? Because it, it's there really wasn't I, – I think if you told me the Nuggets were here – and kind of got as little contribution from some of the some of the role players as they did. Um, I'd be surprised, you know. Like Bruce Brown had a big series, but Michael Porter Jr. Yep. stepped up a little bit last night for you. I know you had some props on him, um, but you know he didn't do much throughout the series. Uh, it was it was a lot of really special playing from Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. And I want to say too because one there, there's a couple of things that I think come from this that we should really take hold of as we move forward. As you see Jokic and the dominance there, most of the playoffs in terms of points, rebounds, and assists, the first player in NBA history to lead playoffs in all three categories. Also. So the highest draft pick or lowest, how do you, how do you phrase it? Highest yeah, draft pick, right? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, to win finals MVP. So that was also a record that Jokic broke and will hold for a while now uh, in NBA lore. But Denver, a plus 9.2 net rating and non-garbage time for the entire postseason. Absolutely dominant. And when you look at some of the things we should hold on to going forward, one of the things that a lot of people held, held on to with the, with the team like Miami, especially going into the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, was how Eric Spolstra was such a good coach that he leveled the playing field with a lot of guys, especially guys that we perceived to have a much bigger edge over, or he perceived we perceived he had a, a much bigger edge over. I think Michael Malone is now in that category. Michael Malone is a very very good head coach throughout this entire postseason. We watched Denver adjust and tweak and change their game plans, and they didn't need to change the starting lineups. I think people conflate, you know, tweaks and adjustments to just changing starting lineups. No, they adjusted their game plans. If you watch with, you know, with minute details of how they changed the way they attacked the Miami Heat zone throughout this entire series, I thought Malone was brilliant. And I think he is something that we should hold on to in that he is now one of those coaches that is nearing the Eric Spolstra territory of if you think there is a clear edge in head coaching, Malone will make a difference in a series. I think you saw it in the Lakers series as well, the way they were going after them, after the big adjustment after game one. I thought Malone was brilliant throughout this entire postseason, too. Yeah, it's, I mean, look, I think there's a lot of people, and, and I'll say it, too. I mean, it helps when you've got a seven-footer that can pass as well as he right. does, right? It allows you to, to at least offensively make those adjustments, I think, a lot easier than what other teams have. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you can't take anything away from what that guy has done, having to face the different matchups that the, that the Nuggets had to throughout this entire postseason. And, I mean, the Miami Heat, 
I mean, we'll get to them in a bit, but, I mean, an incredible run through a lot of opponents that we saw them completely confuse, flummox. Yep. I mean, just get off of their games completely, and they threw the kitchen sink at Denver, and they couldn't – Denver adjusted every time, just like you said. Whatever they, whatever they threw at them, they adjusted, broke it down, and Spo, Spo had to go back to something else. And, and the other thing – so you mentioned there's two things we should really, like, remember, hold on to as we come out of this NBA Finals. The other – one of the things that really annoys me that you hear from people sometimes, and actually I yelled at one of our coworkers about it, Josh Applebaum. He, he hit me with a, uh, when I was filling in on Sharp Money a couple of weeks back, he hit me with a depth doesn't matter in the postseason. It's one of, I think, the biggest misconceptions in the NBA. Depth does matter. And when we talk about depth, I would not say that you need nine guys that can play. When you say depth, you need seven to eight guys that you can trust in their roles, and you know that one through eight, when they are called upon, are going to do what they need to do. And that's exactly what the Denver Nuggets had. Aaron Gordon had a game in this series. Bruce Brown had a game in this series. Christian Brown had a game in this series. Every single spot that you look Guys, in terms of role players, stepped up. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, at the end of this game last night, was brilliant. Hitting a massive three-point shot with about four minutes left. Getting the steal off of Jimmy Butler to essentially seal the game up. Hit his free throws as well. That's what you need depth for. So when we like, when we go forward, Kelly, and we, this is a big offseason. Yep. You know, Damian Lillard could go somewhere else. That's the biggest domino that Fred could Van fall. Vliet. You know, yep. yeah. a lot of names. But in terms of the guys, and like the greatest example, too, one of the teams that Denver beat on the way here, the Suns had no depth. They didn't have anybody they could realistically rely upon. And that is one of the most important things that I think we forget about in the NBA in the postseason. People think that depth does not matter, but it does. And even look like a guy like uh, Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr.'s three-point shot wasn't falling. So, you know, I was texting with Jared Smith, our colleague here, about it yesterday. So what was he doing? He's rebounding. He's cutting mm -hmm. to the basket. He's doing every little thing possible. I thought that the depth was awesome for the Denver Nuggets, and it speaks to that, the fact that you need it yeah. for a team to win a championship. Yeah, I think you're – I mean, I, I just think that's the way you need to construct a team these days, right? I think we're moving away from the era of uh, and we moved away from it really of you know kind of big threes and a lot of that circulating around uh, you know a few main guys and you not really having the money left over you know we saw we saw those old heat teams be able to put together good teams because of all these veteran minimum contracts they were able to grab you're just not gonna be able to do that every team everywhere but yes you know building around two guys and knowing that you need to be exactly what you said man and seven eight deep you gotta have that that's what it's it, what I always look at when yep. I'm looking at a team that I believe can make a run who's got those guys that can step up off the bench it doesn't need to be deep deep off the bench but you need to have those three two three four guys that can make an impact not only during the regular season but play heavy minutes into the playoffs too and that's exactly what we saw Denver do. Now, one of my favorite things about a postseason run, you get to see guys get drunk, and it's freaking <laughs> awesome. Uh, can we play this first one? So Jokic was asked, like, some really deep question about, like, hey, man, who are you most happy for of your teammates? Who do you, you know, who are you looking around the locker room and thinking about? And he was trying to answer the question, but when you're inebriated, things happen to your body, and he gets cut off. It was brilliant yesterday. I'm happy for DJ. I'm happy for Jeff. I'm happy for Ish. Literally for everybody, uh, Mikey, yeah, he had three surgeries and still uh, came here and helped help us win the championship. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm burping, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
dude, that yesterday was great. And he actually gave us some of the best moments. Like Jamal Murray's was kind of buttoned up and serious. We also had this moment yesterday from Jokic where like, clearly he's like one of the basketball stars. I guess that just hates his job and was afterwards was asked about the, the parade. Here was his answer. Curious what you are feeling right now. And if you're looking forward to a parade coming up in Denver. When is parade? When is parade? Thursday. No. <laughs> I need to go home. Hello. Okay. Uh. Now I feel like that's like kind of drunk. Nikola Jokic just be like, nah, dude, I got to keep doing this for three more days. Did he really not know there was a parade? That, that's important. I can't, I can't tell. No, I think he <laughs> knew he wanted to know when it was. And he's like, dude, like, cause he, I like, think he knows think too. It was like in a month or something. Right. Like you got to go home and then come back. Well, and we all know, like, I think we've all been there before. Like when you're with like the crew that's partying too hard and you're like, Hey, we're going to go there. We're going to go hit this place. Now I'm like, dude, it's no, it's, it's three o'clock in the morning. Like we got to go somewhere. I feel like that's what he was feeling. All right. We'll get back to the NBA finals and the ramifications of it. Talk about the Miami heat. But when we come back, Andy McNeil is going to walk us through game five of the Stanley Cup finals. A numbers game on VSIN, the sports betting network. It's time to download Nevada's premier sports betting app, BetMGM Sports. BetMGM is all your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds specials, and much more. Download the BetMGM app today. Stop by any MGM casino on the strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms. Got to be 21 and located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem 1-800-522-4700. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for Matt Brown, who filled in for Gil Alexander. I'll be back with you guys Thursday and Friday for the rest of the week. Matt Brown. Matt Brown back tomorrow, right? Is that yep. just, yeah? Okay. Yeah, Matt, cool. tomorrow and then you end of the week. All right. Yes, looking forward to it. I love it. I, you know, I'm an early riser, you know? I don't know about our next guest, Andy McNeil. I feel like he's an early riser because just like me, he decided to have uh, offspring. Andy, good morning, buddy. What's going on? Uh, good morning, JVT. Not, not a whole lot. Just, uh patiently waiting the, the the Vegas Golden Knights uh, Stanley Cup win here in game five, mm. right? Okay. All right. I like the vibes here. So let's start uh, before we get to the game itself. You know me. I like some of these numbers. I like to throw some of them at you and ask if I'm reading into this correctly. So let's talk about some of the, the numbers we've seen through this series so far and, and what they mean, if anything at all. Uh, the One of the things that stuck out to me, Andy, when I was looking over some of the numbers for Florida uh, for the series as a whole is they haven't really taken advantage of a lot of their high danger chances. Uh, Florida has, according to natural stat trick, generated 43 high danger chances, but only two high danger goals. Is that something that, if, as you've watched this, as you've parsed through the numbers, is that something that is almost like, I'll liken it to something I watch every day, uh, the NBA, right? Where, hey, three-point shooting, it's a good three-point shooting team, but they're just not hitting open shots. Is that something that's equivalent there? What am I seeing with a 43 high-danger chances for, but only two high-danger chances goals by the Florida Panthers? Well, I think the big thing is that Florida has been chasing the game so much. They've been playing from behind a lot. They haven't led very much in the series, and um, you know, it, it, it teams will teams will oftentimes, um, you know, opt to take some maybe less dangerous shots, maybe still qualified as scoring chances or high danger shots, but uh, maybe not the most optimal approach sometimes when you're when you're trailing and you're desperate. So I would I would uh, I would lean into that a little bit. But, you know, just in general, I think that um, I think that Vegas has been the better team 
over the last couple of games in that regard in terms of expected goals, which is the stat I like to, to use uh, more more so than than high danger chances, just because it's a little bit less uh, arbitrary. But um, yeah, I think I think the Knights have done a great job in the last two games uh, in terms of controlling expected goals, especially in Game Four. They dominated uh, with a 67% expected goals for percentage uh, in that game. So the other thing that has stuck out, and this is more—I I don't think this is numbers related, but this is hockey related because I, you know, I—I I fully look. I don't want to walk in and be a guy who only watches NHL playoffs and talk about the sport of <laughs> hockey, right? So, but I want to get your thoughts. Andy, I have thought watching this series and watching Florida throughout the postseason as much as I have, and I used the term petulant when it came to their actions in this series against Vegas. Has their style here, like, worked against them? You know, when you're talking about consistently going to the penalty talks, I was told they're trying to set the tone, and I'm like, okay, well, congrats on setting the tone. You're really behind when they have a power, like, when they have a strength advantage. I think their style, for lack of a better term, has kind of worked against them. Am I wrong in thinking, watching what they have done here through the first four games? It's kind of shot themselves in the foot. No, I don't think you're wrong at all. I think uh, I think that um, you know, given the situation, like the Panthers were past that at this point. This is the Stanley Cup final. It's the time to you know play hockey and win games. And I thought they really cost, the, uh, really hurt themselves, the, especially in the first couple of games yep. with all the shenanigans uh, that they pulled. And and I mean, at this point, you've got Matthew Kachuk, of course, who's not a hundred percent. We don't know his status heading into Game Five. Um, and and he's not going to be able to be the physical presence or the you know irritator that he is uh, normally. So I mean the Panthers' chances of being able to play that type of game effectively are, are basically out the window, uh, and their their chances of being able to to match the Golden Knights just in terms of raw hockey skill uh, are kind of fading too. And 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 a lot of that has to do with the fact that that Kachuk isn't going to be able to be at his best. Yeah, you mentioned Kachuk. So what do, what do we know about Kachuk and his status? I, I, you know, I was reading some articles just a couple of days ago, even before the Game 4 loss, that there was thoughts that he wasn't 100% healthy. What's the latest on him that we know of? So, I mean, it was pretty obvious in Game 4 that he was dealing with something, shying away from physical contact. Yeah. Um, he only played four shifts in the in the third period when the, when the Panthers were at their most desperate point and they're trailing and they're trying to claw back. Obviously, they, they score a couple of goals. He was out there in the final minutes, but you could, you could tell that he wasn't right. And, uh, I mean, the two-day layoff probably helps uh, in between games to, uh, as far as his chances of, of being in the lineup. But um, he was still effective. I mean, you know, even at, even at, uh, even not at 100% or dealing with whatever injury, uh, apparently a shoulder injury, although the team has not disclosed that. Um, he, he was still affected. The Panthers were still good when he was on the ice and he had four shots on goal, but um, not, not the same type of player. And uh, it's uh, we're going to, we're going to find out later today. If, if Kachuk is in the lineup, I expect him to be, but I, I don't expect him to be the same type of factor that he has been in the playoffs so far. Okay. So if we expect him to be, <clears throat> excuse me, in the lineup tonight, uh, obviously uh, the price on the game today is a little far off from where we started this series for game one. We're looking at it. I'm seeing on my screen as high as a dollar 90 in favor of the Vegas golden Knights. So what's the play here on, in terms of a number, my surface level analysis would be like, all right, if we're getting a Kachuk here, I know the Knights ability played pretty well. They're in a closeout game back at home, but a dollar 80 from where we were priced in game one seems excessive. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough because I, I do think there there is a chance that that Kachuk could could find himself sitting out tonight yeah. because I mean it is believed to be a pretty severe injury. I'm just going off the fact that he was able to play in Game Four and you know he he it is the Stanley Cup final. Um, but 
if Kachuk isn't able to go, uh, it's you know it's it's not that much of a I guess an unreasonable price, but the the value is certainly gone. I think. I mean, you know, betting groups and uh, sharp betters had this information probably before the betting public, and and we saw the we saw the line move as a result. And uh, I mean, then then there was that that you know bit of clean up the secondary move, I guess, as more information came out and that, you know, there's a possibility that Kachuk could actually miss the game. So I think right now in terms of the money line, the total, et cetera, uh, everything is pretty right. And then when you look at player props, I mean, you'd like to be able to try to maybe capitalize on, uh, on you know, Kachuk not being in the lineup and, and somebody else taking his spot. But a lot of sports books aren't offering uh, very many Panthers players. They're mm-hmm. definitely not offering Matthew Kachuk uh, on the player props outside of first, last, anytime goal so it's going to be pretty tough to try to capitalize on this uh when there when there is some confirmation uh, what about the vegas side when you have like a million dudes who are contributors for vegas how in the <laughs> world do you put your finger on shots on goal uh you know anytime goal scorer what's the process like there well it's it's tough too because vegas has shown the ability to be able to jump out to early leads and kind of sit on those leads and when that happens they don't generate a lot of shots so that's something to be concerned about especially with the panthers coming into this game maybe you know, kind of at their lowest point uh, in the playoffs thus far. So um, I've only ended up with one small player prop so far. Mark Stone over two and a half shots on goal at even money. That wasn't a widely available price, but it was available at DraftKings. Um, Not sure what the line is now, but Stone, he didn't have a shot in game four, but he had four attempts. He he hit that, uh, he hit three or more in in five games in a row leading into game four. So I think he's a gamer, and he's he's going to once again be uh, all around the net here, generating high danger chances and uh, and and scoring chances. So I expect Stone to be in, you know, flirt with that anyway. Uh, and I think at even money, it's a decent bet for a half unit. Jonathan Marshall show accurately priced minus four hundred to win Con Smythe, in your opinion? Yeah, uh, I mean, I always have trouble, you know, trying to kind of put a price on this stuff because yeah. it is, you know determined by the voters at the end of the day. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, he's just got such a great narrative. Like I've said all along uh, the, the Panthers ha- having been the team that, that, you know, tossed him to the side, uh, sent him to Vegas in the expansion draft and just, you know, how good he's been in the playoffs. And, you know, the, the stat line stands out, the story stands out. I think, I think he has everything going for him right now and uh, it's his award to lose for sure. All right, Andy. So what do you think? Vegas closing this thing out. We're going to celebrate a Stanley Cup out here in Las Vegas where we totally deserve it because we've been long and just due for a Stanley Cup. Yeah, I think it I think it happens in game five. Um, I don't think this series will stretch on much longer. Um, Vegas has a, a really good chance to end it tonight. They've, they've shown a killer instinct in the playoffs for the most part outside of a little bit of a lapse versus Dallas. So, um, yeah, I, I expect them to to put their, their foot on the Panthers throat tonight and, and, and finish this thing off. And uh, as far as you guys deserving it or not deserving <laughs> it, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think that way. And, and I, I also, um, you know, I also kind of don't believe in the whole, you know, the, the, the Vegas Golden Knights aren't a loyal franchise. They aren't loyal to their players. There are a lot of, you know, long tenured players here. They've built an organization. They've got a, a pretty good winning culture there, and and I think it's uh, it's well deserved if they can uh, if they can pull it off. Andy, good to talk to you as always, buddy. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it. All right, take care, JVD. At Digital Gambler up on Twitter. Yeah, I was uh, I was hanging out with the uh, the in laws, not like the true in laws, but like my my wife's like aunts, uncles, and stuff yesterday. 
And they're like, they're asking me about the Knights. I'm like, you guys, I've never, I've never talked to you about a sport one time. It's amazing. I've been with her for like 11 years. And like now it's like, man, you think they're going to close them out tomorrow? Like I was like, all right. It's like, man, Vegas Golden Knights fever. Can't wait. I didn't know we did. They didn't appreciate players uh, here. Uh, well, that's like a whole thing. Yeah, we can. That's that's as being in local radio a little bit. Uh, I can speak to that a bit. All right. We'll come back. Hey, let's get back to the NBA. We got to discuss what the Miami Heat are and how we can sniff this thing out. Can we get another run from another team and figure it out before it happens? A numbers game on VSIN, the sports betting network. VEASAN website has a lot of things to offer. One of those things, of course, the betting splits. You can check out Money Bets for every game. It's updated every 10 minutes. You get today's games and future events as well. Check it out. One of the many tools that the website has to offer at vsin.com. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, I was mentioning this in the break. The uh, A's with baseball's longest active winning streak. Uh, today is the reverse boycott for A's fans today. I believe that they are going to flood the um, Coliseum and buy tickets and show them what they're thinking. All right. So we'll see. Yeah, You're not a big fan, huh? Going to have to get the, all those feral cats out of there first to uh, get a seat. It's a good point. Gotta do, do Is that still of... going on? Are they like cats taking over the Oakland Coliseum? In that place, probably. I haven't been in the Coliseum. I've been in the parking lot and uh, looking at that thing. I would not be surprised. All right. Seeing the shot is with us. Not to talk A's baseball. That's boring, even though they are the hottest team in Major League Baseball. Uh, let's talk U.S. Open. Uh, see, of course, PGA NFL analyst for Sportsline, co-host of the First Cut podcast at Seeing the Shot on Twitter. All right, see, I wanted to start with this first off. Can you give us some background on this course? Now, I've been looking around trying to get some information. What have you dug up at this point right now? What kind of course are we looking at? Uh, what kind of golfers does it suit that we're going to see later this week? You know, I, 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 first of all, thanks for having me on the show, uh, JVT. Kelly, happy to be back with you. And, and I'll tell you, this is going to be kind of a new thing. We have LACC where we haven't had a tournament. We had the Walker Cup in 2017. But what I will say is, it, and I hate to be super defiant with my take here in terms of like, this is what you definitely need because this is a new course. But we have wide fairways, and I think that lends, and it's going to be firm and fast. I think that lends itself to people thinking, well, you don't have to be super long here because it is going to be firm and fast. You're going to get some run out. And I think that's actually true. But I still want to defer to the guys who have distance off the tee, preferably some accuracy with that distance, because I think when you, when it comes to the greens being firm and fast as well, I think to hold those greens, you're going to need short irons coming in. So, so I'm looking for guys who are prolific off the tee, which I don't normally have a huge emphasis on. And of course, I'm looking for good approach. Um, the, the around the green game, I'd like to de-emphasize that relative to the market, but I do have it sort of built into my weighted T to green metrics. So I'm looking at T to green. I'm looking at off the T a little bit more than I normally do. And then of course I'm looking at approach. All right. So let's talk about the thought of, you know, if there's some unfamiliarity with the course overall, one of the popular talking points, uh, a lot of these guys who of course maybe have some familiarity here at the top of that list is going to be one Max Homa. What, what do we make of that angle? Because I would assume like, while there is some familiarity here, this is also going to be a course that they're going to try to make as tough as possible, right? So how much does that familiarity actually help for some of these California guys? I don't think it helps as much as other courses that, yeah. that these guys are normally on on the California swing. And, and that's because you have sort of different grass complexes, different greens. It, it's a different setup than your typical California course. So while it's still, it's still going to help guys like Patrick Cantlay, guys like Max Homa, to be honest with you, it is not an emphasis for me at all. In fact, Max Homa is really one of my fade candidates 
this this for the U.S. Open. And part of the reason for that is because Max Homa hasn't been playing very well. So I'm not going to give him a bump. It looks like the odds have given him a bump, but I'm not going to give him a bump because he's usually good on the West Coast. He still may be good, but he's certainly a fade candidate for me because he's just not playing well. All right, so let's go over some specific golfers. Then you mentioned some parameters in terms of their game, what you're looking at. So which golfer specifically do you think would fit that form? Well, I'll start with Patrick Cantlay, who happens to be a California guy. And for the record, hasn't been very good in majors. But listen, a, a lot of these sort of narratives about some of these golfers, I, I think they're starting to go away. I mean, especially over the last six months, you've seen a lot of guys sort of tackle and, and defeat the narrative that's been cast upon them. And, and I think in Patrick Cantley's case, he's just so good off the tee. He can be so good with the short game. So I actually like him. I like his number at plus 1700. You can shop that around, but it's, it's usually between, you know, plus 1500 plus 1800. I think he's a really good candidate to take this thing down. Now, listen, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, guys like that, or Brooks Kepka, they are the favorites for good reason. I just don't want to take those short numbers from a value standpoint. I think Patrick Cantley at like around plus 1700 makes a lot of sense. I'm also looking at Victor Hovland, who we know just got a win at plus 1800. I think he can be great out here. And then some long shots, Bryson DeChambeau at 45 to one. I got to say Bryson is, he was a surprise to me at the PGA championship, but perhaps he shouldn't have been. I mean, at the masters, we saw glimpses of, of the old Bryson where he was actually hitting it pretty well. And then on live, he, he's been really good. And then at the PGA championship, he was second in the field ball striking. I just think at 45 to one, we're underappreciating Bryson. And part of the reason for that is because we just haven't seen a lot of them. And, and, and the, the last we remember of Bryson from like last year, he was kind of injured. We didn't know from just from a, his body, whether he was going to be big Bryson or small Bryson. He sort of middled that at this point. I think Bryson at 45 to one makes sense. And then Ricky Fowler, who other than the PGA championship has been on a torrid stretch this entire calendar year. This would be maybe one of those times where we see something great. Like we saw Justin Rose, one of those older veteran guys win earlier this year. It could be Ricky Fowler's turn at 50 to one. And then finally, Mito Pereira, um, my favorite of the of the two kind of main Chileans here that are on the live tour, um, it's Joaquin Neiman and it's Mito Pereira. I think Mito Pereira, he's been great on the live tour. He was great at the PGA Championship. I think 80 to 1, he has tremendous upside. So when we're coming into a tournament like this, what do you make a recent form? You know, one of the guys I call him one of my FOMO guys. I had a couple, but I got it with the Hideki Matsuyama that year at the Masters, one of my favorite golfers. Tommy Fleetwood has been there, too, ever since that showing at Shinnecock where he had a massive, a great weekend. I think it was one of the rounds, either Sunday or or Saturday, and ultimately uh, finished behind Brooks Kepka. Tommy Fleetwood's a pretty good recent form. We saw what happened at the, uh, the uh, RBC. So what do we make of guys in terms of recent form and specifically a guy like Fleetwood? Well, first of all, I like both of the guys you mentioned. Yep. Uh, Decky, I, I like, and I like Fleetwood. I think the problem with Fleetwood, and I and I hate to lean on the word narrative again, but it's kind of coming true. Every time he finds himself in contention, yep. he kind of wilts. And I'm not just going back to last week. It's really been the few times he's been in contention this year, where where once he gets to you know 15, 16, 17, he he starts to wilt on a Sunday. So I don't really like him in the outright market. I like him in DFS. I think he's fine. I, I like him in the top 20, top 40 market if you want to go there. He's not going to be an outright for me, but I think you're completely on point. Tommy Fleetwood's doing everything well, yep. ball striking, short game, putting like he literally 
has the all-around game that you would be looking for, especially on a course like this, which is a relative unknown. When you're not exactly sure what is going to be required on a course, what do you want? You want a guy who has all the tools in the bag. Tommy Fleetwood is certainly a top five candidate when it comes to that. Uh, as I've said too, Kelly, we were talking about this. As long as as long as Mott shaves the beard, I think the beard was uh, was weighing him down that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Looks good. Looks good. But uh, ultimately, the way he collapsed, you don't really like that juju. Uh, and by the way, I did have uh, Tommy Fleetwood in the playoff against Nick Taylor at minus one twenty two mm. over the weekend. So that's a, that's a good way to go down. Uh, all right, let's talk about some uh, head to heads really quickly. And some of the guys are these are the. I'll ask you this before you get into some of them. Are these specifically? Hey, I am pro this golfer. It's why I'm playing it. Are you fading certain golfers? Walk us through a couple of your matchups that you have. That's a really good question. These are mostly fade the golfers as opposed okay. to uh, supporting the guy I'm supporting, but it's a little bit of both. So I, you know, Ricky Fowler, I mentioned as a potential outright at 50 to one, I have him minus 120 over Jason day. Jason day is a really interesting story. He hasn't been very good over the last couple of tournaments, whereas he was really good, you know, prior to that, but he's also working off a bone bruise in his wrist. I have no idea what the status of that is. So what I have to go on is what he's been doing over the last couple of tournaments, which hasn't been very good. Ricky Fowler, on the other hand, not only has he been good, but he's been closing tournaments. Well, so minus 120 over Jason day. I really like that Shane Lowry minus 110 over Cameron young. Well, let's talk about fade candidates here. Cameron young is going to be one of them. He seems like a good course fit, but Shane Lowry seems like a good course fit too. And frankly, Shane Lowry has been playing a lot better than Cameron young. So minus 110, I think is a very fair price. And then finally, Mito Pereira, Chilean on Chilean crime over Joaquin Neiman. Neiman's good. He's been playing okay on the live tour, but Mito Pereira not only has been playing well on the live tour, but played well at the PGA championship and the masters as well. This guy has plenty of upside. We're going to see him pass Joaquin Neiman in the odds and in DFS pricing and things of that nature sooner rather than later. So minus 130 over Neiman makes a lot of sense to me. All right, so yeah, before we get you out of here really quick, uh, Kelly wanted me to ask you in terms of first round leader, where you're looking It also walk me through the process here. Cause you see some pretty random names at the top of the leaderboard after a first round. So uh, what's the process and kind of putting your finger on one of these guys. Well, a lot of it is who can pop in 18 rounds versus, or excuse me, 18 holes versus four rounds. Yeah. There's a lot of guys who have incredible upside for a round, but you know, they don't have the staying power over four rounds. And the reality is the odds aren't necessarily adjusted from the, the tournament outrights to the first round leader outrights. They, they are different, but the point is they're not adjusted enough to, to account for the randomness of the first round and the randomness of a guy spiking. So a lot of times I like to take a guy who I've seen in the past can spike, whether it's the first round or the fourth round, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to be able to see them spike for 18 holes. And, and I have a few guys here. Now I need tee time. So that's the qualifier here. Tee times will come out in an hour or two, but the guys I have my eye on right now who hopefully have morning tee times, cause that's what I'm leaning into Brooks Kepka at 20, 26 to one Victor Hovland at 30 to one Bryson. There's that name again. He has the same exact odds as his outright odds at 45 to one Mito Pereira, 70 to one Russell Henley, 80 to one. I really like him this tournament. And then finally a long shot, triple digits, 110 to one Mr. Patrick Rogers last 30 seconds. What's the value of the tea time? What's the importance behind it? Well, usually you want to go out in the morning because usually the wind conditions are lessened in the morning. It okay. starts to pick up in the afternoon, but even if the wind doesn't pick up at LACC, you just have better course conditions because the putting greens are going to be kind of less messed up by the players treading on them for an entire three, four hours. It's just a more pristine conditions when it comes to the morning. I would say nine out of 10 times. I like it. See Najad again, a U.S. Open preview with him. If you can follow all his work over at Sportsline at Sia Najad on Twitter. Thanks for time. Thanks for coming on, man. Really good conversation. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, Kelly, we're going to pick your brain on this as well. I've got a couple of golfers already in the pocket. We'll talk about that and uh, whether or not I'm barking up the right tree on some of these. And we'll get back to a big name 
in the NBA free agency pool that has decided to enter it, and it could change uh, the course of some teams, I would think. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.